Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Hudson, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello, and thank you once again for joining us on the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck, where we cover the Oregon Ducks, the Pac-12, and all the big stories from around all of college football. I'm your host, Doug Scott, and joined, as always, by Andrew, QB11, and Justin Hopkins from Scoop Duck. Justin, good morning. How are you? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. I'm bracing down for this winter storm warning they're telling me we're going to have down here in southern Oregon tonight. So, Wait, you guys are having a winter storm? Yeah, they're they're saying it's going to be uh, snow snow tonight on the on the valley floor here, obviously at, at the elevations around us. So um, it's blowing in. Wow. Okay. It's uh, sixty degrees here right now, but it's going to be a high of seventy five. So. Oh well, it was sixty degrees Saturday and Sunday, so that's how that's how quickly it changed. I was outside in a t shirt and shorts playing pickleball Sunday afternoon, and here we are Tuesday, and it's going to snow. So. That's awesome. You don't play pickleball at George Rogers Park in Lake Oswego where they've now banned it, right? Wait, what? I, you don't, I saw that. They banned pickleball? <laughs> yeah, there was a big uh, bunch of homeowners went to the city council of Lake Oswego and were complaining because the pickleball in the park next door was noisy, so the city council Are you serious? It. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's, that's it's so Lake Oswego. Of course it happens. We need to make a constitutional amendment that you can play pickleball at any park in the country. <laughs> They did the they did the same thing down here in Jacksonville, and then they overturned it and said, "Well, you can only play between the hours of like ten and six or whatever it was." Pretty funny. That's only one court. I never go out there anyway, so. That's so lame. I love pickleball. Pickleball is a good time. It's funny. Uh, for those who don't know, I work in real estate. I got invited to a broker's open on this big house in Paradise Valley, Arizona, which is a really wealthy area, and uh, it's a pickleball tournament. <laughs> <laughs> This this house has a so, pickleball facility on on site. I'm guessing you are planning on dominating this tournament. Unfortunately, I'm not gonna be able to go because I have I have stuff that I have to do for my own clients. But I would love to go and jack around and play pickleball all night. Yeah, 
you, you taller guys are tough to play against because you can reach the whole court. And you're, <laughs> you're, impo- you're impossible to lob, but uh, which is quite ironic because on Sunday when I was playing, I was playing with, with Nate Biddle's dad, Brian Biddle, and he's just as tall as Nate. So That's hilarious. Wait, 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 wait. How tall are you, QB? I'm 6'4". Six 6'4", four. Six four. okay. So you're actually tall. I just wasn't sure if Justin was talking about you being tall or just tall and in, in, in relation to him. So. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead no. and let, let him defend himself on that one. That's crazy. I wouldn't take that disrespect, Justin. That's all right. Um, Dougie doesn't have much height on me either, so (laughs) maybe maybe a couple inches. Of of this group, you're definitely the tall guy for sure. When when uh, when I come back, Justin, I think it'll be probably be. I don't know. Maybe for the coaches' clinic, I might have to come earlier. We might have to uh, meet up somewhere in the middle, and my dad and I will come. We'll play you guys in pickleball. Sounds like a good time. You bet. I'm pretty good. Right, I'm pretty I good. Think... I'm not like really good, but I'm I'm good enough. So. I, I own the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I have never played pickleball. <laughs> See, you just just I, wait. You will. Yeah, Doug, we'll I get need you to on try it. it. Yeah. Think of think of pickle or think of uh, ping pong, but you're standing on the table. The no, I've seen it. I've it. seen it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've seen it. I, my neighbors actually bought a pickleball net and play it in the street sometimes. So I've I've, I've seen it. So it's it's. Um, quite possibly the most like highly demanding in, in regards to athletic to talent required sport of all time. Like it's, it takes a lot of natural athleticism to be good at pickleball. It's, it's crazy how it, like they really designed the game to be fun, right? It's, and it's the, the uniqueness of pickleball, which I know this is what the podcast will not be about, but the uniqueness of pickleball is the fact that you can be tall, short, old, young man, woman, and, it's not a massive, massive disadvantage for any one of those because the, the older people that I play against, they're just they have awesome touch. They, you know, like uh, QB said, they'll own the kitchen and do all these crafty shots where you get some of the younger guys that power it through. But that doesn't always always win the points. So it's set up very well, but it's just very diverse in who you can play with. Uh, last thing on pickleball before we transition to what we're supposed to be talking about. So I, I got two buddies down here, both really good athletes um, who signed up for a pickleball tournament, a local pickleball tournament. It was like a $5 buy-in or whatever. They got double first rounded by people over the age of 60. Like they, got, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they got knocked out. Of, they were out of the tournament in 30 minutes. They had like planned this whole day and they were, they were out. <laughs> those people get after it. I mean, the, the, the people, those 60 year olds and whatnot, who have a lot of time on their hands and are retired. I mean, they, they play all day long. They're, they get after it in pickleball. And yeah. like you said, that it's unlike tennis. Like their their lack of range isn't isn't nearly as big of a disadvantage as it would be if they were still playing tennis. So, you know, respect there. But I don't know what you two are talking about. Did you not get the memo that this is now a full time pickleball podcast? I would be fine with per- that. I'm totally good with that. Yeah, I it's it's so fun to play, and it's I, I've so you guys know. Obviously, I have a schedule that allows me to do things during the day and kind of cater my work around that. So. Oftentimes, I'll go play during the day when my kids are at school. Well, as you can guess, most of the people I encounter there are a little bit older and of the more retirement age. So I've built a lot of great relationships with those people, just enjoying being around them and playing and having fun and, and kind of, you know, hearing about their life story a little bit along the way. So that's been it's been it's been fun in that regard for me to meet, uh, you know, older people than I would normally meet. Yeah, I love. All them. right. 
<laughs> well, we are six minutes in, and, and uh, I think we'll transition over to our, our first topic today. We really kind of wanted to, it seems like a good time to reset the, or set up, I guess, the 2024 recruiting cycle. Obviously, with the second signing day having wrapped up a couple weeks ago, which we covered extensively on that episode, two episodes ago, and now we're into the 2024 class. Oregon already has uh, five commits in this class, um, and of course, the dead period has been running all February, but visits are going to get get back on track starting in March, so it seems like an ideal time to kind of set the table there, and I kind of had some some subtopics along this grounds we should talk with start uh, talk about, but it seems best to start with the five commits that Oregon already has, um, and we'll start with the top two on the board, which are both at the wide receiver position, where Junior Adams continues to be just an animal on the trail. Uh, he's got commitments right now from uh, high four-star wide receiver Tysir Denmark out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and um, another high four-star Jordan Anderson out of uh, Newport Beach, California. So. Those are the two commits in this cycle at wide receiver. And, and uh, QB, I'll start with you. Like, What are your thoughts on those two and, and just Junior Adams and wide receiver recruiting in general? Yeah, well, Junior Adams is off to a crazy start. I mean, I think he basically picked his class last year, did a really, really good job um, getting Dickey and, and Cozart. And then now in this class, like we're not even to the start of spring ball yet, and he's got two top 100 players and uh, Anderson and Denmark on board and – beat really competitive like recruiting teams for him, like beat Ohio State for Denmark, uh, who's more of a smaller, short area quickness slot receiver wiggly guy, uh, whereas Anderson's more of a well-rounded receiver. But I think the the priority in this class seems to be speed, and it was a priority in last class as well, but it just seems that uh, trying to get more explosive, add more explosive long speed and verticality to the to the receiver room to go along with some of these bigger bodied outside receivers that we've added in the last four classes or so um, is, is a priority for Adams. And so I think Justin will go over the numbers, but I would anticipate they'll take probably two more at least um, just to kind of even out the, the receiver room numbers. Yeah. Um, of course, as we know, you can get through spring and potentially see some guys transfer out uh, this spring after spring football, um, you're going to get into the fall uh, season and potentially, you know, you might get halfway through the season or whatnot and might see some guys transfer out. So I think and the reason I set the table for that is I think if everything stayed exactly the way it was, none of the receivers transferred out of Oregon's program. Uh, everybody gets in. Everybody, you know, uh, you know, Jordan Anderson and Tyser Denmark stay committed. I think there's probably only room for one more right now. But I think to your point, that's probably very unlikely for all of that to happen, for everybody, every wide receiver to remain at Oregon. It's going to be an absolute dogfight for uh, Junior Adams to keep Tysier Denmark committed and Jordan Anderson committed because they're still being recruited by a number of schools and they're top 100 players. So you've got to weigh that into there. So yeah, I, I think right now he's probably actively recruiting in a manner that says, hey, I'm looking for two more guys um, you know, if Oregon gets one more commit, say early this spring, it makes me wonder how hard they'll push on some of these other guys, um, you know, and being able to take a second one if nobody has left the program. But you've got to think that that's probably likely. And you've got to think when that does happen, you probably see them taking two more guys. Are there any names that immediately stick out to you, Justin, as guys that we should keep an eye on um, to start off this 24 class? Yeah, I mean, you want to. You want to kind of, I think for me, 
I'm a little bit leery about Tysir Denmark only for the fact that he's a top one player and not on the West Coast. I feel a lot better about holding on to a guy like Jordan Anderson, who obviously is in the Los Angeles area. Your odds of keeping him are a lot better, in my opinion. You look at a guy like Ryan Pelham that's also down in the Los Angeles area at Millican in Long Beach. I think that's a guy you should watch for. I know they've been trying to work really hard on Ryan Wingo out of Missouri, a state that uh, Dan Lanning would love to get back into his home state. Um, you know, so that's another name that I would be watching for as well there. And uh, I know they're also working down in Arizona. Uh, again, Xavier Jordan's down in California. Um, and there's some guys down in Arizona, two or three guys. Their names escape me, but I know they've been recruiting a couple guys for athletes and different kind of players down there. Um Again, maybe really working on one guy right now and then kind of keeping some other guys warm and also seeing some of these guys at satellite camps or at, uh, you know, camps that the Ducks uh, host themselves later on. Yeah, McClendon from Missouri as well as uh, Pelham from Southern California seem like guys that Oregon is prioritizing early on. Uh, for those who don't know, Pelham is the nephew of Don Pelham, 20-year uh, tenured former Oregon linebacker coach and defensive coordinator. And so um, I'm sure there's more than a little bit of connection to the Oregon program in that family at this point. Yeah, there's two positions on this roster that I really don't worry about from a recruiting standpoint at all. It's it's wide receiver and running back. Uh, I think what we've seen out of both Junior Adams and Carlos Lachlan is they're going to get guys that, that are really high-caliber guys at that position. And, and I think we've seen that you know proven out enough now where – um, you know, Oregon seems to be in the thick of it for, uh, it felt like I, all the, all the like top five, top 10, top seven uh, stuff I saw from wide receivers over the course of the holidays. And in January, it felt like Oregon's in the thick of it for like 10, 10 guys in the top 200, let's say. And, and they obviously can't take them all three or four is the max. So it'll be interesting to see how it all lands out. But I feel very confident in saying whoever the three or four that junior ends up with are going to be really high quality players. Yeah, I would I would also add cornerback to that group that you mentioned there. But yeah, those three groups right there, um, pretty proven commodity in terms of recruiting. Uh, and so, yeah, I have I have full faith in Junior Adams. And and uh, as long as Coach Stein is able to keep this offense exciting, it'll make their jobs even easier as well. So next commit on the list would be uh, tight end A.J. Pugliano out of North, down in your neck of the woods, uh, Justin, out of Medford, uh, North Medford High School in Medford, Oregon. Um, he's obviously an Oregon, um, Oregon high school kid, which we don't get a lot of, a lot of guys at Oregon who are up to the level of, of, the, of the University of Oregon football team, but this is one that is, and he got an early commitment from him. So what do you, what do you like about A.J., Justin? Well, ironically enough, I don't tend to go watch too much of the local football games down here um, because, as you mentioned, we don't tend to get a lot. Chase Cotto was the last real big name to come out four or five years ago, whenever his year was to graduate. Um, and since then, it's been pretty quiet. But I, I happened to be at a game uh, that it was North versus South and Medford, and A.J. Pugliano was there. And I think it was probably about five minutes in the first quarter he got hurt <laughs> and never went back in. So I don't believe that he ended up playing again the rest of the season from that injury. Um, I don't I don't re I did. I did not check back to see if he recorded any any additional stats. So I wish I had more to say from a, uh, from an in-person perspective, but just kind of looking at him, eyeballing him, seeing him on the field moves really well. You know, good, good sized body. 
um, as a tight end, doesn't carry a bunch of extra weight, you know, carries just has that muscular kind of lean look about him. Um, you know, he, he, he ran the game. Like I said, it was only about five minutes that he was able to play, moved around, had one catch and on that first catch is when he got injured. So uh, I, I've met him. I've been around him. I've watched him play basketball with my son. So I can tell you that he could move, that he's got great foot, footwork um, and some of that other stuff. He's going to need to get a little bit bigger, I think, for the for the Pac-12, for the for that next step of football. But uh, all the tools are there. And again, you have to credit, you know, we didn't say tight end in ones that we aren't concerned about, but Drew Merringer has been pretty good at recruiting tight ends since he's been at Oregon. Um, I think you, I think he did a great job to get Pugliano early and has done a great job getting Oregon in the game for three or four other guys that he's really high on as well. QB, uh, any thoughts on Pugliano? Um, not a guy that I'm super familiar with. I've watched a little bit of his film, but uh, it's been a while. He, he just struck me as a guy who's a really good mover for his size. Um, I don't know. Tight end is one of those positions where it's like you're just looking at frame and athleticism. I mean, any any body control or like natural range as a pass catcher that exists early is just a is a plus. And so he's a, he's a big big framed kid who can really move and um, seems to have good ball skills and, and athletic body control. So um, I, I like the pickup, and I think that the the Ducks will absolutely go after a second tight end in this class. All right. Uh, next one on the board is a guy who's really shooting up the recruiting rankings here of late is. Edge, uh, edge player Jackson Jones uh, out of Yuma, Arizona. He was originally committed to the Washington Huskies and Oregon offered, I think, back in December or January. He decommitted from Washington and visited Oregon and, and pretty quickly after that committed to the Ducks. And since then, he's, like I said, been shooting up the, the recruiting rankings on several services. So he's a four-star edge player. Um, QB, thoughts on Jackson? Yeah, uh, really, really like this, this one. Um, super bendy. Just has like really good natural body language. Plays with really good lean, um, quick, explosive. Can flatten. He's got like a pretty well developed toolkit of pass rush moves already, which is that's just a bad, that's a big bonus for a high school kid. Uh, but super productive. I think he had 17 sacks last year, another 23 tackles for loss, like 100 tackle but total solo tackles. Super productive player. Um, Yuma is not a huge area. I don't know how good the football is down there. It's like two and a half hours south of uh, of Phoenix, um, closer to the border. But um, really good talent, and I think his frame and his overall athletic body control um, is going to project really well on the edge for the Ducks. Yeah, my uh, I, I thought you did a really good job there with that QB. I think one of my favorite parts about the Jackson Jones pickup has been uh, his father, Daniel Jones, on Twitter. The guy's just yeah. a, <laughs> he, he's he's recruiting as hard as as any of the coaches out there. It certainly seems, and has has been very excited about the program. And and those are the kinds of things that really help you build your 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 class, right? You you tend to want to get your quarterback committed early because then your quarterback will go out and start recruiting your offensive players with you and helping you do that and bring other great players with them. Um, it's just nice kind of seeing uh, his dad, who does do some coaching on the side, Daniel Jones, has been very active and very supportive of the program. And that kind of stuff really bleeds into recruits. I think it kind of goes unnoticed. Uh, Jackson Jones, I, I think one of the things I like about him most that, that 
um, Andrew mentioned is just that his productivity's there, right? This isn't just a guy that kind of looks good, but but doesn't show up in the games. Um, this is a kid that looks pretty good, moves around pretty well, probably needs to add a little bit of weight, but the production is there, and that's a really big thing uh, for me. So um, I guess the, what is it, the best ability is availability, so that means he's healthy most of the time and playing his games and, and whatnot. So, um, and again, last thing, I think Mario Cristobal was probably best at teaching us this in recruiting. Any of those guys that are even remotely close in your Western footprint, you go and get. You go and take them. Hope they produce. Hope they pan out. Sign them. Best of all, you get a player that is really good for you. And secondly, you keep them away from from your competitors, from the other Pac-12 schools. So um, getting a guy like Jackson Jones, I think, is, is, is uber important to the class. And then you're able to go out and maybe look for a couple five stars nationally and see if you can get them to join him. And that brings us to the final uh, commit so far, the fifth and final commit so far of this class, which is four-star offensive tackle Fox Crater out of Vancouver, Washington. So pretty local kid. Um, recently bumped up to four-star status. Uh, QB, thoughts on Fox? Yeah, I really like Fox. He's a good athlete, moves well. Um, not as big as maybe some of the guys that we took under Mario from a, just like a existing um, frame development standpoint. He's probably like 280, 290 pounds right now. Um, so he's going to be a guy that grows into the role over the next couple of years. You're not going to be like ripping bad weight, tearing him down, um, and then building him back up. You're just going to get to start from scratch and build him up. Um, like frame-wise, reminds me of some former players that Oregon's had, guys like Calvin Throckmorton, guys like Jake Fisher, who came in light. Now, Throckmorton was really naturally big through the lower half and got a lot bigger. Uh, but Jake Fisher, I think – like the heaviest he ever played at Oregon was probably about 300, 295. I think that's probably about where Crater will be, but he's a really good mover, um, comes out of his hips well. I mean, he's raw technically, uh, so this will be a good test for Coach Terry to see how he how he can develop the um, the technical side of the game, but the athletic profile is really strong with Crater. Yeah, I, I think um, probably currently my favorite thing about Crater is the fact that he – obviously lost his position coach in Adrian Clem going to the NFL and didn't make a, a rash decision to decommit, right? Just kind of said, all right, I'll give this thing some time. I kind of committed to the school. Let me see who they hire. Let me see if I can build a relationship. And he's taken that approach. And I always, I always kind of find that as a, a breath of fresh air when you see young men kind of taking that approach, like, okay, I'm not going to be a reactionary. Let me see how this plays out. And I'm sure that's you know, given him the reason to probably talk to other schools when he wasn't originally. And I definitely don't blame him for doing that. Um, but again, it's been nice to kind of see him handle his recruitment that way. Um, I know that this is a guy that when Adrian Clem was here, uh, you know, he really liked and felt good about his length and his movement and, and ways to be able to kind of, you know, mold him into the offensive line. Uh, once again, this is another West Coast, Northwest football player that, uh, you would probably really not enjoy playing against at Washington or Washington State or, or UCLA or if he ended up at one of those schools. So um, really the best thing is for Oregon to grab him, get him, and, and try and get him developed and then maybe go get a, a couple higher-profile guys to build around him as well. All right, so let's kind of switch gears a little bit here now that we've covered the, the current commitments, obviously early on in this cycle. You know, with the obvious caveat that you want to hit every position every year at a high level. Uh, you know, when you look across the the current roster and who's 
who will certainly or most likely be returning, you know, in the 2024 season as we look ahead a year and, and beyond. There are certain positions that I feel like are, are you know, more important than others for, for hitting at a high level in this class just, just because of where the roster sits currently at those positions and outgoing players and whatnot. And I've identified three of those positions on offense and two on defense. Uh, but before I, I name those out, I'd like to both of your input. Maybe we'll just go like one at a time each. So if there's one position that you feel is the most critical for Oregon to hit at a high level in this 2024 class, you know, what would it be? And Justin, I'll start with you. Um, well, I would blanket it and I would say offensive line. I would imagine Andrew's going to have the same answer, but really to kind of pinpoint that it's offensive tackle, in my opinion, yeah. just to, to really be specific. And, you know, I do think that um, th- that's going to be a challenge for coach Terry. I think there's some better options at offensive tackle in 2024 than there were in 2023, at least in the Western footprint. Um, so there's at least a little bit of a help of help there for him. Like I said, if you're making a coaching change at the college level, this was probably almost the near perfect time to make it with regards to recruiting and football and everything. But that said, as we know, with the accelerated recruiting timeline, Coach Terry's now behind trying to recruit 2024s, uh, you know, USC, Washington, some of the other schools that recruited at a decent level. He's behind in building those relationships. So I think it'll take a little bit of time and Duck fans need to be patient. So where you were maybe in the running and and possibly leading for a guy like Brandon Baker, I think that that, that takes a step back now and it has to. That's a natural byproduct of a coaching change, but it doesn't mean you're out by any means. So I think Coach Terry just need to be needs to be granted some time to develop that relationship there. Um, you know, Papa Afua is up in Washington as well. So that's another target he'll look at. I know there are others, but yeah, he's going to need, he honestly, Coach Terry has to go get a minimum of three true offensive tackles. And I say that as a minimum. Um, I'd really love to see him maybe dip into the JUCO ranks or play the transfer portal next year. Um, because as we know, Johnny Cornelius is probably one and done. Um, you know, you've got some guy. you're going to have to replace that next year right away with a ready-made tackle. And I'm not sure it's on the roster. So that to me is number one by far. Andrew. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think tackle is kind of like the big, the big one. Uh, I think quarterback is really important in this class. Um, like obviously you're going to have Thompson and Novosad next year. Nick's doesn't have any more eligibility left to, to use at Oregon. And so, I think getting a really strong third quarterback to come in and compete for that job is going to be really important. And uh, hopefully Novasad and Thompson experience the development over the course of the season. That would make them comfortable um, not taking a transfer going and in, going into the 24 years. So um, I think quarterback and then uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll go one more time. I think linebacker is really important in this class. And I think they've identified some really good prospects uh, and they're in a really, really good spot with some of those guys, but uh, they have a bunch of transfers and guys that are kind of getting into the t- second half of their career at Oregon. Um, so it's time to start backfilling with some really high-quality linebacker prospects, guys like Dylan Williams, guys like Justin Williams, Braden Platt, um, and, and some of these other guys from Southern California that Oregon's really high on at this point in the cycle. I think it's going to be important to um, really hit the, hit the ball to the park at linebacker this class. Yeah, I had both tackle and linebacker in my list of five positions, so – um, those are definitely high up on my list as well. I'll add a, another one in there, which I think is tight end. 
Um, you know, with, with more than expected attrition that happened this past offseason, there's three on the roster right now. And even with Pugliano coming in, you're, you know, decent chance Ferguson turns pro, so you're still stuck at three. So I, I think Oregon needs to add at least two total in this cycle, one more from what they have now, and maybe even potentially one beyond that just to get that room back to the numbers you'd want to you'd wanna be at. So I'll add tight end. Yeah, that, that is a good one. Yeah, um, you guys basically said everything I was going to say. I would have said linebacker next. I think that's a paramount position that they've got to find. Not just bodies. They need to find dudes. They need to find contributors right away at linebacker. Yes. And then, like you said, tight end. Do you need somebody to come in and start right away? No, but you probably need to you know, bring somebody in because I would imagine we see more of Kenyon Sadiq than we, than we expect. Um, and you need to bring guys in behind him as well and develop them. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think we're all over it. I, I guess if we were digging even farther, safety is probably next on the list. But, um, yeah, it's it's got to be offensive tackle and linebacker for sure. Yeah, I also had safety on my list as well as kind of the next one up. I think, again, high-level dudes, right? I think there's, there's bodies in the room, and there's a lot of seniors. There's a lot of, uh, you know, upperclassmen in the room that will be moving on in one way or the other here pretty soon. And then I think from the younger, the younger classes, there's, there's guys, um, how that haven't played a lot, right? How well they will actually contribute. Will they be able to play at, at the high level that Oregon needs, or are they kind of, you know, mid-level players at best? So I think, you know, obviously with not getting Peyton Bowen, you know, and that kind of you know, fiasco at, at early signing day, you know, is there is there like some high four star kind of guys, really talented safeties out there that that Oregon can get in on in this cycle and, and new coach, you know Hampton at that position as well. So I think that's another one I would definitely agree with. And then my fifth and final one, which again I'm not worried about at all, but I do think that there is again you know this room's going to be kind of thin potentially after this year, which is wide receiver. Uh, again, I, I know we're going to get who we need, so I'm not worried about it. But it is a position that Oregon you know does need to land on. Uh, I mean. I don't know. This is kind of how, at this point, with where Oregon is as a program, to take the next step, you have to hit at every position. Like you you got to get guys everywhere. Um, and so, like, to me, the value positions are always going to be the most important. Like, quarterback, tackle, edge, corner, receiver. Like, you got to hit on those every year. You don't have an option anymore to miss on one of those spots in the class. Yeah, yeah I'd probably think... add interior D-line D to that as well, right? Because there's just not a lot of those in the portal. But, yeah, that's, I mean, that was the caveat at the beginning, right? Every position is important. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not saying this to, to hit on the segment or to hit on any of our, our conversation because I think um, there are certainly positions just relative to Oregon's roster that are more important. But, like, just because you had a good defensive line and edge class last year doesn't mean you get to take a small group this year. You still have to follow it up. Yeah. I mean, that's the Georgia model, right? I mean, you got to, they ended up building a monster. Now, granted, they were able to build it probably a little bit quicker than Oregon will be. But, I mean, that is the model. You've got to keep stacking talent on top of, on top of, on top of talent if you want to be able to compete with those top four, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, kind of moving on to the next topic here on recruiting in 2024. What do you see as, or who do you see as the biggest targets the, or the biggest battles on Oregon's board, right? If we're looking at what is, what is one guy or two guys or three guys that we really need to go hard after and we, and we really want to see Oregon be able to land, you know, what are some of those names that people should look out for? Go ahead, Justin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, 
I think we could spend a lot of time on this topic. And frankly, had I probably prepped better for it, I'd have a, a better list. But I think at the early stages, here's, I mean, at the early stages, I think it's time to go big game hunting, right? It's time to go for some names that you might not necessarily lead for, but might be uh, able to kind of move up the list as the as the months stack up. And I think one of those, and it's going to lend to what you guys just said, I think Dylan Rayola is one of those. Um, I, at the moment, I don't feel that Oregon is in the lead position there. I think that they're behind Nebraska. I think that they might be behind USC. There might be others, but I think Dylan Rayola is the kind of guy, the number one player in the country, quarterback uh, in the state of Arizona that you try and recruit hard. Um, you know, obviously in your Western footprint, I think that's a guy that you kind of, you know, quote unquote, kitchen sink after. And so um, you might not get him and that's okay. But I think that that's, you know, somebody that Oregon needs and would fit really well uh, for the Ducks. Now, if they can't get him, it's okay. They've got other options. I'm not too worried, but um, that would be one. Um, the previously mentioned Ryan Pelham that we talked about at wide receiver, I think that's another, you know, that's a Long Beach product. And I know if you're an Oregon fan, you absolutely never get tired of seeing Oregon plucking elite talent out from underneath USC and Lincoln Riley. So I, I think that's another one um, that I would call a high priority. Along with that, um, again, already mentioned, but Brandon Baker that we talked about briefly. Uh, there's the modern day pipeline. That's a kid that's looking at USC. He's looking at Oregon. You'd like to win that battle. Those aren't the only two, but they're certainly heavily involved there. Um, so I think that that's a guy also fills a need. The other one that I can think of off the top of my head almost immediately would be uh, Elijah Rushing, their edge out of Arizona. Got every major national offer, has visited Oregon already. Again, he's out of the state of Arizona where you are trying to really kind of develop those inroads there and really take advantage of. So um, another body type that you want to take advantage getting at Oregon. Those are the ones just off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Um, I could pull it up and keep going down the list. I mean, but those are the guys that stand out immediately for me um, that I think Oregon probably needs to prioritize and recruit at the highest level. One more, one more would be linebacker Dylan Williams. That guy's paramount to this class, in my opinion, um, was previously committed to USC. Again, another Long Beach, Los Angeles player that you'd love to pull up to Oregon and fills a massive position of need. So. Uh, again, off the top of my head, those are some of the ones that just popped in as soon as you asked that question. So I, I got a couple as well. Um, I think you mentioned Dylan Williams, Justin Williams out of Texas as well. Uh, he's a player that the staff has really prioritized a lot early. Uh, out of Seattle, uh, Afua, um, Big Papa, he's he's one that absolutely um, – th that's going to be one that we evaluate Terry's ability to close on. Oregon's built a really strong early lead with him. Um, now it's time to go close and get him on board. So um, going, getting him to go along with Baker uh, and Crater as the, as the beginnings of your offensive line class would be awesome. Um, I know you had mentioned rushing, but another defensive lineman, uh, Williams Nuanery. I'm sorry, I'm going to absolutely butcher that. But um, he's from the same high school that Dan Landing went to in Missouri. He's been on campus twice already. I know Steve Wolfong has mentioned Oregon as a really strong player for him at this point. Um, and then again at the quarterback position, whether it's whether it's Dylan Riola or Michael Van Buren or Elijah Brown, like you, you have to get one of these top guys in this class. Um, and then I guess staying um, on offense, uh, Nathaniel Frazier out of Modern Day. I know it's a back that Coach Lachlan really likes early in this class. 
uh, he's a player that I could see being one of the two backs that they take. Yeah, I think you guys have covered that list pretty well. Uh, I, I wouldn't add any more names to that, but those are obviously there's gonna be a lot more names as we get throughout the cycle. But you know, those are some of the big, highest rated ones, biggest names to watch. Uh, kind of final touch on this one, and and Justin, I guess this might be a little bit of a preview of uh, your your next five to commit series that you run all cycle long and update frequently. But you know, without giving away you know any of your paywall information here, are there maybe one or two names you might be willing to tease out there that guys that could be an early spring commitment for Oregon, either like before the spring game or around that time. Well, so it'll be a kind of a weird pivot for me to do this, but I originally mentioned Dylan Rayola, who I am not saying is, is on that list. My, my pivot to that is I think Oregon's in really good shape at quarterback recruiting and I think that they are aware and in a position where they won't wait too long for Rayola. Like if they're not feeling that they've got a legit shot, they're not going to sit there and waste their time and, and miss out on other guys. So right now, if I was a betting guy, I would say that Oregon's probably in best shape for a guy like Elijah Brown or Michael Van Buren at quarterback. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, quarterback is important to get early. You know, that's a guy that leads the offensive recruiting, can dip into defensive recruiting a little bit for you gives you a lot of momentum, excites wide receivers, excites tight ends, gives offensive linemen a reason to come to your program, you know, obviously gives running backs as well a reason to come to your program. You know, so right now I would probably say that those two guys um, are two that I would have pinpointed in that respect. Um, I don't have a feel that there's just like three or four guys waiting to bust and, and make a commitment uh, to Oregon right now. It's just been so quiet. Um, the coaches have been taking the weekends off, oftentimes um, three-day weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I know some of the coaches have, have, have not necessarily taken like two-week-long vacations, but, you know, have turned those three-day trips into maybe like five-day trips, um, a little bit of an extended weekend. So just honestly, they are taking some time, as you would expect that they should. I, I don't really feel like they are putting a lot of pressure on these guys to commit early or anything like that. I do think what the biggest movement at the moment is, is really setting up yourself to hit March with, with getting these guys on campus, right? Getting visits on campus. And once we kind of see that list of names of guys that come out those, those first few weekends, that gives you a really good sense of, okay, this guy's definitely interested in Oregon, feeling Oregon, um, you know, probably should watch more than others. Um, so, th I mean, I guess that's where I'm at. I'm not really trying to keep any information private. I just think you look at most of the t upper West Coast options that Oregon has offered, and I think you've got to feel pretty good about where Oregon's at with, with, with the ones that they've identified. And then, as we know, let's, let's take, for example, a guy like Williams Nwaneri that um, QB was talking about. That's a five-star defensive line player. That guy's not going to commit early. Okay, he's going to take his time. He's going to take visits. You might get him towards the end of spring, maybe summer. He might just take it all the way to December. You never know. Um, and that's what made the early signing period so exciting for Oregon last year is they were feeling like they were more than just a hat on the table for a number of those five-star guys that, that made commitments at that time. So um, not to dodge the question, it's just kind of a weird time to get there because at one point, we were all kind of prepped for Justin Williams, the linebacker that was mentioned earlier out of Texas to kind of 
you know, everybody started putting in predictions. It's kind of like looking like he was going to commit. Well, that was back in December. And here we are uh, gearing towards the end of February and he still hasn't made a commitment. So I think Oregon's probably in really good shape. There's a chance that they could get him back on campus and make a really good push there. And that might be enough. But in this early period, you get these huge emotional swings of I'm really close to committing. And then maybe a mom or dad or coach or somebody says, well, why don't you wait just a little bit to make sure that that's the one? I have no problem with that approach. I totally get it. I would probably do the same with my own son. But that's kind of where we're at is kind of that that really weird fine line right in between committing and maybe taking a little more time. I got you. So, Justin, I have one more uh, question for you in regards to recruiting. So with Oregon getting Roderick Pleasant and kind of breaking into Sarah last year, how do you feel about Oregon's chances with Dakota Fields, the corner out of Sarah? Out of Sarah? Um, mixed emotions. <laughs> um, simply because it's great that Oregon got Roderick Pleasant there, but then obviously Nico Clem went there, Adrian Clem's son. And so you kind of wonder how that – that dynamic plays into it there. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, no disrespect to Nico, but I'm not sure that he was on top of uh, Coach Martin's board. So d- does he kind of, is he able to maybe get a little bit of chatter into Dakota's ear? And maybe that's enough to change things there. Maybe it's not a factor at all, which is totally plausible. So, um, yeah, as good as it was to get Pleasant, I think that was a great get. Uh, more than likely, those two, are probably closer right now than Dakota is to Nico Clem. So maybe that wins out in the end. But, um, yeah, I wish I had a better answer for you there. But that one's kind of weird just because of that dynamic on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, you you wouldn't think that a kid that's just moving into town would be able to influence another kid's decision, but you never know. Um, Well, and, I mean, no, but, I mean, Adrian Clem was so good in the Los Angeles area recruiting just with his relationships he didn't necessarily go out and recruit Roderick Pleasant, but that relationship that he had with those coaches and and the and the mentors and the people in that area really opened the door for Oregon and and Demetrius Martin to kind of seal that deal up there. So, um, you know, even though Nico Clem is just going to Sarah, it's not like he didn't know any of these kids. He had pretty good relationships with most of them and the coaches already. Um, so, yeah, I get what you're saying, but it's it's not as cut and dry as well. He just showed up. You know, it won't impact anything. And again, it might not impact anything at all. I think that's definitely a guy that fans should be paying attention to uh, with regards to your question. Um, You've got to feel really good about what Coach Meat's been able to do, um, basically taking on USC and Dante Williams head to head and winning out some of those battles. So I've got to I've got to believe that he's going to look at a guy like Dakota Fields, almost six foot two, you know, around 170 pounds or whatever he's at and probably prioritize him pretty strongly. Perfect. Doug, you have anything else? Uh, not on this topic. We do have some more recruiting-related questions coming up in our listener listener mailbag here in the next segment. But uh, obviously, as visits heat up throughout March, uh, Scoop Duck will be covering that extensively before and after and all that stuff. So check out there if you want to keep up to date on recruiting and visits. Shall we move on to listener questions? Let's do it. All right. We'll just round robin these. Um, we'll take turns going first. First question is from Alex. If you could be a position coach on the 2023 Oregon Ducks, which position coach would you be and why? Uh, I'll go first, and it would be running back for me. 
because I feel like you're really not doing much there except, and not to discredit Coach Lachlan, because that's not what I'm trying to do, but you're really not doing much there except deciding which one's the hottest hand and, and keeping him out there. So, um, And that's a credit to Coach Lachlan, right? He's He's gone out and brought in a number of really good players, um, developed them, and you've got guys returning. You've got fresh guys coming in, uh, and that room is – that room is the deepest room at Oregon, in my opinion, by far. So uh, if it's if it's me picking, I'd pick that room bar none. Again, not to discredit Coach Lachlan, but I feel like you're 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 uh, having an embarrassment of riches and just picking which one's the hot hand, and that's a good problem to have. QB, uh, I'm not qualified to coach any of these positions, so whoever holds the clipboard in the uh, box, so I could just sit and listen. <laughs> Well, I, I think the, the premise of the question assumes you're qualified, So, but uh, that's fair. Um, I'll go wide receiver. Uh, that's a position I played in high school, so it's, it's you know near and dear to my heart. And also, um, I think that there's some interesting people in that room with a, a lot of talent and skill and some personality, and, and uh, I think that's fun to watch and be a part of. So that would be mine. Doug was the original Hunter Renfro, for those who don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I just slightly less talented, slightly. Uh, I was an un, unhidden, unhidden gem, hidden gem, I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, I was uh, not not that much. Uh, next question from Webfoot: A bit premature, but what are some names of dudes to watch that might leave early for the NFL at the end of the year if they play well this season? Uh, QB, why don't we start with you this time? Leave early. Um, wow, that's a tough one. There's a couple obvious names, I think. I think a guy like Bucky Irving, um, we could see him leave early after this year. Um, I think uh, a Johnny Cornelius in the offensive line would be a name that could be someone who takes off early. Um, Troy Franklin at receiver is another obvious one of a guy oh, that you're could... just going to take all the names now. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'll stop there. <laughs> those, I'll take those, I'll take those three and then leave the rest for you guys. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, go ahead if you go ahead if you want, Doug. You had a couple. Well, like. I, yeah, I think I think QB stole them. I had I had uh, Troy <laughs> and Bucky as my top two as well. Um, I find another one on the list here. Those are probably the two that stand out the most to me. Um, hard to see anybody else from like the. I don't see any defensive backs that would really hit that necessarily. Um, yeah, those. Are, I think I think QB covered it. Yeah, I, I would have said Troy, and that probably would have been where I ended. I guess you could include Bucky. What also makes this murky has been that COVID bonus year, right? So what, what qualifies as early, right? Is it, yeah. you know, a, a redshirt sophomore that, you know, is real really more like a junior or a or junior that's really more like a senior? But, yeah, so that's – I would have to say Troy. And, and again, I think this speaks to um, the job that Kenny Dillingham did last year with the offense. If you go look at the offense, there's not really, there wasn't a lot of like dudes, right? NFL dudes. There was some really good players, some good college players, but the defense by and large had more NFL talent on it and, and performed obviously a lot, a lot lower than the offense did. So I, I do think that that was a, one of the things I, I was most impressed with Kenny Dillingham as. Um, and yeah, if we're talking about anybody, I would say Troy Franklin's probably got the best odds of, of doing that. Yeah, I, I'll throw out one more. Uh, Terrence Ferguson. I think I mentioned that earlier. You know, he's a guy that if he has, you know, he had a pretty solid year last year, especially you know the first half of the season. If he's able to duplicate and build upon that this year, 
could be a guy you could see maybe go early, but you know maybe a little bit further down the list. And I think Troy to me was the number one candidate I thought of as well. I guess All the right. good news is I guess the good news is, but the way Oregon's recruited, they're going to have so much talent coming in. It's going to push out some of the guys that aren't contributing at that higher age level. Yeah, and I think we saw a lot of that obviously this this past off season. But you know, I think that's going to continue to be a theme. You know, every year uh, for Oregon, he's going to continue to bring in a full class and then some. You know, each cycle and, and let the the cream rise to the top, if you will. Uh, next question yeah. from Eric Hovland. We'll start with uh, Justin on this one. Who's going to be helping with the coaching of the inside linebackers now that Jake Long has left for Alabama? Also, any word on if they will potentially get someone to help out Terry along the OL? Uh, so the easier question there, and, and I, I will apologize, I don't. There are so many support staff uh, on this roster that doesn't get constantly updated. So I, I can't recall his name, but there's already on uh, an assistant to the offensive line coach that's been hired at Oregon. It, he came with, with Coach Stein uh, pretty close. I can't recall his name. I'd have to look it up. But he came pretty close to after uh, Coach Stein came over. So that was already kind of in place there. In terms of linebacker, um, you know, it, it sounds as though uh, Coach Lanning and Coach Lupoy are going to kind of move around some responsibilities a little bit there. Um, I don't necessarily know exactly how it's going to to play out and who's going to do exactly what, but that's been the chatter that there's been some movement there with, with, with them and responsibilities um, and kind of taking over that role. And, yeah, that was something that Coach Long um, really did spend a lot of time doing. So it wouldn't surprise me if we also see um, – or hear about some other uh, linebacker uh, coach, if you will, not obviously given that title because he wouldn't be an on-field coach, but somebody that probably comes in and aids with that uh, with Coach Long's departure as well. QB, anything to add there? Uh, No, I don't – this time of year there's so much in and out, and I think we're finally coming to the end of it, but it's like there's the initial, uh, like, coaching search um, and, like, and the, and the carousel that takes place with head coaches and then usually the assistant carousel is delayed slightly after the signing day, which it was this year. And then the support staff kind of trickles down after that. So as support staffers move around and pick up jobs. So we'll, we'll see what the whole staff looks like as spring ball, spring ball approaches. And I'm sure we'll start to hear more details about how new support staffers are fitting into different roles. Yeah, I think the only thing I'd say is I, I don't really have any concerns that both the offensive line and the linebacker positions will have the appropriate amount of of coaching and analysts and support resources in those rooms. So, what you know, whether whatever, however those specifics work out, you know, they'll they're not just going to leave a hole there. So they'll figure it out. Um, next question. I'm going to take this one, and if you guys want to add anything after what I say, you know, shoot, go for it. But I did want to just acknowledge the question. So it's from Nola Duck. Uh, make the Treshawn Holden situation make sense. Was it a team rule? Is their info still not public? I would say probably both of those, yes. Have Dan and Treshawn spoken? Who knows? Is this saga fully closed? Maybe not. Is there a possibility or interest on either side of revisiting the dismissal? I think there's been some breadcrumbs on social media that maybe there's 
maybe there's a possibility. Uh, you know, I'd just say, like, let's just let the situation play out and and see where things land. If Holden ends up back on the team, I think that's a sign that, um, you know, there was, you know, maybe some of the initial reports were erroneous. If he doesn't, who knows? But I don't, I don't, I don't want to speculate. Like, there, there's, there's no doubt a ton of information that the team and Dan and the school have that isn't out there in the public. And however the situation plays out, you know, we'll, we'll, I, I trust that it's being uh, properly vetted. So I'd probably leave it at that. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I mean, Justin might have more, but I, like I, I kind of semi-jokingly tweeted when like, someone let me know when Dan apologizes to Holden because of all the stuff that's been coming out. But here's the things that I don't know, and we don't have an, uh, we don't have access to the information of is like what university rules were broken, what what team rules were broken, uh, what what are the like lesser known facts of the situation that would cause a coach. Because, like, generally the standard operating procedure when a kid gets in trouble is indefinite suspension pending investigation, right? Well, like, they just jumped straight from that to dismissal. So was that Dan making a mistake? Was that Dan um, having his his arm pulled and forced into that by the university because of a certain rule that was broken? Um, those are all things that we don't know, and we probably will never know. And so we'll just kind of have to wait and see what happens, and then we'll have to make assumptions based off that. Yeah, I mean um... – I, I would say this, and, I, and I'll answer probably the question pretty blunt, bluntly. I think a lot of the the bigger discussion is, you know, is is it a bigger mistake for Dan to basically ad- admit that maybe he made a mistake in dismissing him so quickly and bringing him back? Or does he just kind of say, I made my decision, I stay with it? In my opinion, when Dan Lanning is a younger coach, everybody knows that. Dan Lanning's just starting his second year of being a head coach. I think it's pretty easy in today's world to basically say, you know what, I might have acted just a a little bit too quickly there after we reviewed more of the information and more facts became available. Okay, we we reviewed it again and determined that, you know, Treshawn should be allowed to rejoin the team. I think you handle it that way. It shows that you're going to, you know, put the best interest of the player first uh, in the end, um, you know, really by basically kind of almost admitting, hey, maybe I did make a mistake and act too quickly. But look, the best thing is to bring him back for himself and, and help him get it, continue his education. Um, and as we know, in today's news cycle, that will last for about 48 hours and it will be done. It will be moved on, swept under the rug, and they'll be on to whatever the next travesty is of, of college football. So I think you earn better long-term trust by handling it that way than saying, no, I made my decision. I'm sticking with it. Um, I, I tend to believe at this point I'm leaning more towards Holden returning to Oregon Obviously, the first hurdle is getting cleared by by police and having the, the charges drop. But then you still have to do an internal investigation if you're Oregon. You're going to you're gonna need to get out there and talk to some people near to the situation. And then, of course, Dan Lanning has to sit down with compliance and go over everything, you know, detail, you know, what would happen, bringing him back, all, all of that. I'm not going to pretend to know that. I'm not a lawyer, but you have to get compliance involved. And as we know, Oregon's compliance offices don't move incredibly quickly for probably very good reason. So it give this thing, you know, a couple of days to iron out. I think fans that are sitting here worried about if he's coming back or not and, and just give it a few days and let's see what happens. Yeah. I ultimately like I think for Dan's credibility, it'll be the it'll be safer for him to admit fault if he's if he made a mistake, just admit fault, learn from it, grow. Um, and you'll have more credibility with parents and recruits in the future. 
Whereas if you like made a mistake and you refuse to admit it, like that could be used against you on the trails. So ultimately, I think he'll do the right thing. But um, what, whatever, whatever the right thing is, again, I'm not pretending to know. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. One final question before we, we call this an episode. Um, this one is from our friend Dick Burns. Who is the starting quarterback in 2024? Is it Nova oh. Ty Thompson, the 2024 quarterback signee, or a transfer? Uh, let's go with Justin first. Uh, that's a good question. I'm not going to lie. It is a great from, question. Yeah. That's a great from from a really weird name, but yeah, it's it's a great question. Uh, Dick Burns, baby. <laughs> Dick Burns, yeah. Um, I, I based on today. Okay, let let's let's just based on today on what we know. Dan Lanning's fully aware of what it takes to win, right? And he has no problem making sure that they have the best option on the starting lineup for them to win. Okay, and so that means Bo Nix is gone. That means you're you're counting on on Novasad versus Ty Thompson versus possibly whoever you sign. That's three quarterbacks right there. I still think you have room to go get a transfer. Okay. It's, it's, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky to get a good 2024 signee and a transfer. However, I suppose the right transfer that is a clear one year transfer, unlike Bo Nix, maybe makes that a little bit easier for Novasad and for your 2024 quarterback signee. And I think that Dan Lanning is probably well aware that he's going to need that transfer in order to compete at the level he wants to compete at. So that's my bet as they hit the portal once. once. I think they can hit the portal once more. And probably after that, assuming the, that Novasad or the 24 transfer doesn't leave or Ty Thompson even, you can trust one of those guys in two years, I think. QB. Um. Mm. I would uh, I would guess like if you were to like give me odds and say would it be one of the three between Thompson Novosad and twenty four versus a transfer I would take I would take the three. Um, I don't know I, I I'm gonna go ahead and say Thompson. We'll see what happens. I know a lot of fans gave up on him after last year. He was only a redshirt freshman. Um, we'll, we'll see how he develops this season. His athletic and skill set, his arm talent is all still there. So, I do think yeah, Thompson maybe. is a is, – sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say maybe a year and a boost in confidence for a year changes the game for him. That's totally possible. I do think Thompson is a bit of a dark horse candidate here. Like, like QB said, I think a lot of people have already written him off. I, I would say – I would agree with you, QB, that the, the three combined between the Novastead Thompson and whoever we sign in 2024 20, would be more than 50% of the odds. But I would say the single biggest odds, if you had to say Thompson, Novastead, 24 signee, or transfer, I would say the transfer would, would probably be the, the most likely out of all four. So I'm going to put my money on the transfer, whoever that whoever that is. <laughs> and also Dick Burns, by the way, you might want to see a doctor about that. Yeah, get some cream or something. I think they have uh, shots or something you can take. Um, <laughs> any anything else for the for the audience before we sign off? I got nothing. I got All nothing right. now. I mean, I think at this point we're best off avoiding. Um, the topic of basketball in its current state and 
baseball <laughs> and softball are just gearing up. I know we won't talk much about them, but we might mention them as things progress there. But uh, yeah, I also think that we're just a couple of weeks away from a lot more recruiting news developing, and that will obviously, uh, you know, make the the podcast a little more interesting and give us more topics to discuss. But um, thank you all yeah, for listening. I think this was and, and, great. What are you talking about? This was a great episode. Yeah. Oh, the pickleball is what sealed the deal. I don't know what you're talking about, Doug. Can't have a bad episode when you discuss pickleball. Uh, <laughs> but I uh, no. Overall, I I think we're just kind of waiting to see what happens with Trayshawn Holden. I think that'll be good. I also think like once we get through the month of February and coaches start coming back from vacation and kind of dialing back in, getting ready for spring ball here, we're going to start having more recruiting news. So um, this is kind yeah. of the calm before the storm. February, end of January. Uh, well, basically from second signing day to now is basically the slowest part of the season in terms of news. So um, we're just going to have to wait and see how things develop here over the next couple of weeks. But um, really got my, I'm really hoping that everything for Trish on Holden works out and then get him back on the team. Um, so fingers crossed on that. I, I feel like that situation, I mean, here we are, we're at 11 o'clock uh, a.m. On a, on a Tuesday. I, I feel pretty confident that probably more than likely by days and Wednesday, we have a, a firm grasp on, on what's going on there. So yeah. I just think there's some, you know, there's some few things to kind of clear up. And I think, I think that Dan Lanning, I think Dan Lanning would have done more damage by making an immediate decision to reinstate him after the immediate decision to dismiss him. than okay, let's take a couple days here. Just make sure that I know the tra- charges have been dropped. Let's make sure everything's clean we're not going to bring him back and a bunch of you know dirt's going to come out in the news you know 24 hours later about the situation i think that's the right approach at this point yeah i agree all right well with that said thanks again for listening to another episode of the qb11 show you can follow justin at j hopkins sd andrew is at at qb11 sd i am at at douglas ts on Twitter, of course, the show itself is at QB11Show on Twitter. And check out ScoopDuck.com for all of your recruiting and team news. We'll be back at you in one week with our next episode. <laughs>